Well, hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is Friday, December the 2nd, 2022. This is episode 3209 of the Survival Podcast. You've got a Just Jack show today, just me, 12 Ways to Live Free in an Unfree World, episode 3209. This is not live today. It is not going on YouTube and since I can't put it on YouTube, I'm not going to bother today setting it up to go on the other channels. Uh, this is a Friday where my grandkids live early, so by doing audio only, I'll be done earlier than I would otherwise, so I'll just capitalize on that. But I want to tell you what happened. I am I am suspended from YouTube again. I'm going to tell you about the show that we're going to do today, then I'm going to talk about the sponsors, and then as I lead into the subject today, I'll tell you what happened, because it actually, ironically, fits pretty well with the topic that I have for you today. Today's show is called 12 Ways to Live Free in an Unfree World. So yes, if you didn't happen to see the uh, image for today's show, the thumbnail image in the post, we are talking about a deep, scary word today. Anarchism. Oh, God. Anarchism. That's where everybody blows up buildings and sets fire. No, 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 no. Uh, the the, the uh, thumbnail image is, is something that I made, a little meme I made. It's got the agorist flag, and it says you really should know what anarchy actually is before saying it won't work. Also, if you knew what it was, you might actually end up already considering yourself an anarchist. Never fear simply learning about something before criticizing it. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how you can live as an anarchist. I had a guest this week on, and we talked about how he lives. And the show was, you know, kind of billeted as an anarchist show, but we didn't actually talk that much about anarchy. I think if I remember, the first time the word or the concept came up in the show was 44 minutes into the discussion on that an interview on, on Wednesday. Because we were just talking about how he lives. And instead of saying, well, I'm an anarchist, so, it's like, I live this way, and I'm an anarchist, was the way we framed that discussion, which I think made it a much more useful discussion for the audience. But I do think there's a lot of people out there that they worry too much about, well, but will it work? Will it work? Will what work? You believing in freedom as an absolute? Will that work? I don't know. That's up to you, isn't it? When people say, will it work, what they mean is, will we replace the Republican Party with the anarcho-libertarian party? Well, if you mean it that way, then no, I don't think it will work. Let me ask you a question. Are there things out there that are completely legal for you to do, but you consider them immoral, so you would never do them anyway, no matter how legal they were. And almost everybody listening to my voice just said, at least in your head, yes, there are. There are things I, I, I legally could do that I refrain from doing because I find them to be reprehensible or immoral in some way. Okay. Are there things that are illegal to do? Would be, you're violating the law by doing them. That you feel the law that exists is unjust. So one way or another, you do those things anyway. That would include something like, well, I don't think I'm going to get a speeding ticket, but there's a 35-mile-an-hour speed limit here. This is a four-lane road. There's no cops around, and I can see for a mile and a half in both directions. I think I can do 45 safely. 
That would be you're doing an illegal thing in spite of the fact that it's illegal, but you're not doing it because you're trying to run over old people. You're doing it because you've made a judgment that, hey, I can safely operate my vehicle at 40, 45, 50 miles an hour here, and I'm probably not going to get a ticket, so I'm going to do it anyway. Those are both forms of anarchy. The crown, the state, the leaders, the, your, your, your owners, however you want to put it, have said, thou may do this thing, and you have said, I shall abstain, in spite of the fact that you said I can if you were told you need to put a mask on your face and you refused, even if it wasn't a law, if it was an edict, we want you to, and you said, no, you exercised your own judgment. So, does it work? Do you make your life better in the long run by abstaining from some things the state has no problem with and by engaging in things the state says you're not supposed to? If you answered yes to both of those, then in your heart you're an anarchist. And I'll save more on that for when we dig deep into this topic today. I think this will be a fun one, especially if you've never heard me speak on this subject before because you're new to the show. Especially if you came over from the Bitcoin breakout side of things, I think that you'll enjoy today's show. Before we do that, though, I want to talk about our two sponsors of the day today. Number one is Paul Wheaton. And his permaculture playing cards. There's a link in the show notes today that you can go. There'll also be a link in the Daily Mail. If you're not on the Daily Mail, please get on the Daily Mail so you don't miss all my stuff. You know, you might be relying on something like YouTube to hear from me, and I might get suspended or something. You never know, right? So get on the Daily Mail. That way we always have a connection. And there'll be a link in there as well as the show notes today for today's episode, which again is episode 3209. And these are really cool. They're basically a deck of standard, like, bicycle-style playing cards. Uh, they're uh, all the same on the back, so they're not marked. You can actually play cards with them, and nobody can cheat, right? But each card has its own unique picture, own unique thing, little blurb about permaculture, whether it be a technique or a keystone planting or an individual and their philosophy. Just a little blurb. Great way to learn, great way to spread permaculture, he has them in an abundance of different uh, quantities. You can get as little as two, and you get a whole case of them. Now, one thing I want you to know about the page when you go to buy it. It has a price for units that includes shipping. So it almost looks like that's the shipping price. That's the total price. And if you're international, the shipping really sucks, and they admit that it sucks, and they say, well, there's nothing we can do. We're sorry. Anyway, you want to check these out. They would make great stocking stuffers, gifts, and things like that. And this is the big thing. Paul said this is probably the last run of these he's going to do because they're kind of a, you know, you print them as you, as you sell them type thing. And so this will probably be the last chance to really get them, I guess, unless there's any surplus inventory that, that, that peters out over time. Next up today is the Start9 Embassy servers. Now, I, I got a direct message from Twitter today from Start9, and I, I was like, okay, even though I already did you guys this week, I'm going to do you again because you guys need to know this. Right now, Start9 is running a holiday sale on the Embassy One and the new, I uh, can't remember what it's called now, but the the higher-end Embassy as well. Uh, duh, the Pro, the Embassy Pro. So they are both on sale, knocked down significantly. The Embassy One sells for like 539 bucks. It's marked down at 469 The Embassy Pro, which is like you know a mini enterprise-level server for all of the cool self-custody things and, and control things and full encryption and end-to-end. -end. And basically, so you can act as a service provider for your family or your community, that Embassy Pro's on sale for $16.99 versus $18.99, right? But this is the big reason I wanted to let you know about it today. 
If you're an MSB member, you get 9% off everything at Start9. Here's the key. My discount that I have for my members is the only one that you can stack with the sale price. So if there's another discount out there somewhere, you, you can't use it. You either get one or the other, not both. You can't. You guys, these folks support us so much. They're letting you stack that 9% on top of the holiday sale price. And if you're using the Fold card, I'm just going to say you can buy a Start9 gift card inside the Fold app and save even more money, and it will dramatically affect your final price if you do. You basically double the discount. I, I think that's pretty freaking cool. And so they reached out to me, so I wanted you to know about it. Start9, take control of your data, take custody of your Bitcoin, control your life, your destiny, and, commu- destiny, and communicate with members of your community and your family with fully encrypted end-to-end that you control and tell the state to go screw. Fits in well with today's discussion. All right. Last but not least, MSB, right? You get that great discount uh, that would pay for your first year of membership from Start9 if you bought the least expensive server they have. Uh, but MSB's on sale this week. And next week as well. It will end at the end of next week. Christmas is the discount code. Just the word Christmas. And uh, 35 bucks a year, and the rate locks in for life as long as you stay a member. And if you tried to use it earlier this week, I screwed something up. There was a quantity limit on how many there were. I didn't want that. It got exceeded, and it stopped working. I heard from one person. I fixed it. So if you tried to use Christmas discount to get MSB and it didn't work, go do it now. It'll work. I apologize. All right. So let's dig on into this concept of anarchy. I want to start out with a simple question that people should have an answer to, but most people will not. They won't have any answer, or the answer they have will be woefully inadequate for the question. Okay, And that is, if we're talking about freedom, because that's what I feel we're really talking about today, what is freedom? And a lot of times people will say, well, freedom is the ability to do whatever you want. No, you have the ability to do whatever you want. There's just consequences. And whether the state exists or not, there's consequences. So you have the freedom right now to go out and find a plant called Digitalis. You can go to like some of the box stores and all. You can buy it in a little you know, plant in your garden. I think this late in the year, maybe not because it's a tender annual or perennial. Um, but you can go get Digitalis, right? Foxglove. And you can eat it. And the consequence is you will die. If you eat a significant quantity of it, not even a very big quantity. Or there's another plant out there. You can buy this in all the box stores, a perennial called oleander. It's a beautiful landscaping bush. You can eat it. No one will stop you. It will kill you dead. And if it doesn't kill you dead, it will make you so miserable you might wish you died until you come around the other side. So you can go jump off a building. You, you can go break any law you want, but there's a consequence for it, whether it's a natural law consequence or a law of man consequence. So if that was the definition of freedom, that you can do whatever you want, then we already have that. And if you can do it without consequences, then that's impossible. Life will always give you a consequence for every action you take, whether they're positive or negative. Now, here's something people don't know about me in general. There was a time that I was really headed down a path toward becoming an alternative health practitioner. It ended up being not what I wanted to do. But I did get deeply involved in in formal studies for it for about a year. 
And one of the things I learned in it was how to define health without using the word health, other than health is, right? Okay? And it was a very unique definition that I had never thought of before. It was the first perfect definition. Health is the absence of disease. Oh, whoa, wait a minute. Why didn't I... I took health class in high school. Why didn't they tell me that? They told me how to put a rubber on. Well, they didn't explain to me what health was. The absence of disease. Well, that now this makes perfect sense. Assuming I'm not dead, right? If I have an absence of any dis-ease... Also, you also learn the definition of that word, dis-ease. This is the absence of ease, right? right? So if I have the absence of dis-ease, then I'm healthy. Oh, okay. So what if we defined freedom as the absence of tyranny? Now it starts to make sense. And now we can get into what the real goal of anarchy actually is. The real goal of anarchy is to experience as much freedom in your life as possible. That's the real goal of anarchy. And what keeps that from turning into whatever bullshit they've made up to describe the term of everybody just doing whatever they want and, and you know, blood flowing in the streets and slavery everywhere or whatever nonsense they come up with. Adolescent adult children, adult adolescent children, you know, in their 20s, dressed in black, throwing shit around, not anarchists, not anarchists. What prevents that is there is natural law consequence to your actions. Some people refer to this as karma. Karma is real. You can believe in spiritual karma, but you do not need to believe in spiritual karma to accept the concept of karma as being real. If you, want, if you doubt me, go look for a really big man, really big guy. Looks like somebody who curls 100-pound dumbbells, right? Go up to him and Flick them in the nose and see what happens. You will experience instant karma when you get your ass handed to you, right? Something bad will happen if you go provoke the bear. So what kept humanity from losing its shit and descending into madness for the vast majority of our history of walking this planet was not the state. It was natural law and natural consequence. Warfare did not become highly common and sustainable until we had a state-based system. A state-based system lets us put a bunch of people in one place. It lets us create different social strata and have a parasite class and a working class and an elite class. And it lets us take some portion of that working class, teach them how to fight, and send them to fight over here so that the rest of society can just... Enjoy life. Maybe you have to give a few things up while the war is going on, but overall, life doesn't change very much. You take away this phony system, and what happens is if there's a war, well, you're going to fight it. And if you're too old to fight in the war, then maybe somebody just kills you because you're too old to fight. And even if you don't have your village or whatever invaded, the people that go off to fight, you know them personally, and the loss is personal. So warfare, it wasn't that it didn't happen, it was inherently limited. The more civilization we got, the more war we got. The exact opposite of what you're taught. So there are 
natural law limitations. Now, it doesn't mean nothing bad will ever happen, but this is the other problem we have with anarchy. But without an with anarchy, then all these things, they fill in the blank, all these horrible things would happen, and you go, well, that happens, well, that happens, that happens, that happens, that also happens. That happened yesterday, that happened tomorrow, that'll happen again tomorrow. So this idea that we must have perfection for a thing to be valid. And again, we're not talking about the goal of anarchy being taking over the world as anarchists. That would be anti-anarchy. What is the goal of anarchy? To experience as much freedom as possible and defining freedom as the absence of tyranny. This is a personal thing. I cannot compel you to be an anarchist and be an anarchist. You see how that works? I can resist you if you aggress upon me, but I can't compel you to agree with me. I can only make a case and hope that maybe you see the light. And so we also need to accept what our limitations are. What are our limitations as anarchists? There's many, but let's talk about a few. One is the word has been ruined. I almost don't like using the word anymore. Because when I say anarchist, unless you've heard me talk about it before, or heard somebody in my kind of genre talk about it before, you probably get an image in your mind that isn't what an anarchist is. You can't be out shrieking and yelling because you want the government to do things to stop others from doing the things you don't want and, and attacking people and private property and call yourself an anarchist because you're not. You're a socialist. You're a communist. You're a fascist. And all three of those are basically the same thing. I know they taught you in school, Johnny and Susie, that anarchists, I'm sorry, that, that communists and fascists hate each other. They hate each other the way Democrats and Republicans do, but they work in the same building and do the same shit. Okay? It is the same system of governance with tweaks to the economic system used to control people. I don't want to go any deeper than that. But that's where we are today. And so our limitation as an anarchist is, first and foremost, we'll only ever get so much traction using the word anarchy. Even though it's a perfectly good word. It means the absence of rulers, not the absence of rules. Humans create rules. Think about any voluntary association that you've ever had with a group of people bigger than two. Where you get together and create an informal sports league. A, 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 a pool league. A darts league. Like when we used to play darts, there's like the American Dart Federation or whatever the hell it is that created rules. And we decided that the way that they created handicap scores massively favored... People that sucked. Like the handicap was too good for the suck person. So we came up with our own dart league where we actually did the, uh, the handicap score based on the way that we figured out to create a score off of cricket and like 301-501 instead of just the 301-501 scores. If you'd ever played darts, that might not make any sense. But just understand, we, we did it a little bit differently. And everybody agreed to it. It was in the league, and we did it that way, and it actually made a much more competitive league. It was pretty cool. Now, who made us do that? No one. What did we do? We saw that since we were trying to create this really diverse league of people, people wanted their wives playing and shit, and we had some really shitty players, and it was easy to game the system using the handicaps and who you paired up as partners and what have you, that there was a way to equalize it, and we just did it. Tell me you've never done anything like that. You've never had a group of people get together and, hey, here's what we're going to do. You've created your own rules for a thing. And why do you create rules? Because without rules, it's not that you have anarchy, it's that you have chaos. 
But was there a ruler? Or was there a system of governance? See, there's systems of governance in all human interactive edges. One is, if you're rude to people, they'll friggin' knock you on your ass. And if we don't have the ability for people to get away with shitty behavior and hide behind the protection of the state, then we actually could do a little bit better. But we're only going to have as much freedom as we create for ourselves. This is not a movement to change the world. It's a movement to change your world. And we have to accept and cope with what I call the interactive edge with the state. Like, if you really want to be an anarchist, I guess you could go live on some, you know, public land that you can get away with and go live like a hermit or something like that. But most of us want to live in the modern world. We're not opposed to cars and roads. We just think that cars don't need to be taxed and roads could be paid for with voluntary use fees, for instance, would be one thing. But it's not going to happen. So I'm not the guy that says, well, since you're an anarchist, don't get a driver's license. Then you're outside the system and they can't arrest you for driving. Yes, they can. And yes, they will. Now, you decide your own risk tolerance. I won't tell you you're wrong for doing it, but I'll tell you that when you tell somebody else they can do it and they face no consequences, you are wrong. So we have to accept that interactive edge. And that brings me to my 12 ways that I have for you today that you can begin to carve out your own anarcho-fiefdom in your own life. Because this is in some ways, and I, I hate using this word, because people have a hard time grasping the concept of analogy. Everything is literal anymore. It's really evident on, on social media, what I mean by this, is that people take two things and lock them together and, and decide it means a thing. So I saw somebody yesterday post a thing on Twitter, and it said, Twitter is the only place I know of you can make a completely clear statement that's completely misconstrued. I could say, I like waffles, and somebody shows up and says, so you hate pancakes. I'm like, no, bitch, I didn't say that. I just, it's right, you get that. So under, think about that when I say what I'm about to say. In a way, anarchism is like, just to reinforce it, not the same as or is, right, is like a religion in how one comes to it and practices it, right? It's not a religion. It's like a religion in how one comes to it and practices it. So if you become any faith, any religion, then you dig into that religion, and it shapes your life. And if somebody says, but... It's totally legal to eat this thing, and your religion teaches that you should not eat that thing. You just don't eat the thing, right? And you don't do it if you're an enlightened person within your faith. You don't do it to prevent somebody else from doing it. You do it because it's what you're called to. It's what you believe for you in your life, right? That's how anarchism needs to be, and that's where these steps come from. You do these things if they make sense for you under your risk tolerance in your life. Number one, write your own contracts if you're in business deals. And attempt to resolve all differences in the absence of the state, even if you're not in business and you don't have a contract. And so I put these two together because I think they fit well together. It's more universal that way. 
But I'll explain what I mean by writing your own contract. It doesn't even mean don't use a lawyer. It means don't use the court of law if you can avoid it. So in every contract that I've ever written with a business associate, I have always stipulated in the contract that if there is an impasse where we can't decide who's right, that we must first go to a non-binding arbitrator, which is very inexpensive and very brief, but the cost will be shared between both parties evenly. And then, then if the non-binding arbitration fails to resolve the issue, that then we go to binding private arbitration. So it's a double arbitration clause. And then and only then, after the binding arbitration, if the other, if one party will not accept the binding arbitration, then the state system can be used to enforce the ruling of the bar binding arbitration. See? Now that means the state comes last in line, and it will probably never be necessary. I've had one arbitration in all my years. It went to the non-binding, and the other party said, yeah, I, I kind of see, yeah, I'm wrong about this. So we avoided... Being in their system altogether, the expense was incredibly minimal between, between us. The relationship stayed intact. We don't hate each other now. We came to an amicable disagreement that was resolved by an arbitrator who, by the way, said I was right. But if they would have said I was wrong, I would still feel the same way about it. It was so much better. So much better of an experience. Now, what if you're not in business? And, and look, I always had my contracts reviewed by an attorney. I'm going to say that. So, and you have to know you're taking on at one bit of risk when you draft a contract. Common law principle. If there is ambiguity in a contract, it always benefits the party that did not draft it. So by drafting the contract, you're taking that risk on. right? So, but to me, it's worth it. Again, also have your attorney review it. But let's say you don't do that. Well, let's say you're having a problem with a neighbor. Well, if you actually mean what you say when you say you're an anarchist, that doesn't mean you go over and punch your neighbor in the face. It means you reach out and attempt an amicable solution before you involve the state. Where what most people to do today is call, call 911, call the cops. The music's too loud to call the cops. Right? Instead of, you know, first of all, if somebody lives close enough to your house that their music can be heard in your house, you should probably have their phone number. Hey, Bill, it's pretty loud, man. Could you could you turn it down just a little bit for us? I'd really appreciate it. You know? Most people will. If it's not an ongoing thing, it's, hey, you know, we have this big thing going on, maybe you just tolerate it if it's once. Yeah, okay. You know, maybe you are a good neighbor, crazy as that might sound. What if it's something like, you know... Your neighbor's fence is really shitty and leaning over. Don't you think saying, hey, Bill, can we help you with the fence? Is better than calling code enforcement? I, have a, I had a good friend. He passed away way too young. But he was the guy. He didn't like the way something was in the neighborhood. He called code enforcement. So he called code enforcement on a code violation of his neighbors, which was legitimate. And the code enforcement officer figured, I'm at this neighborhood, and ended up writing him, who called in the report, a much bigger violation. It had him have to tear down an overhang of a, of a patio that had been there for 20 years. He screwed himself, because don't invite the serpent into the tent, right? 
I like snakes, but I also like analogies. If you bring a king cobra into your tent, you get bit, it's your fault. Whenever you point the state at somebody, you're pointing, I don't care if it's a code enforcement official, whatever, you're, you're pointing a person, an entity, at another individual that will go try to enforce the will of the state on that person. And even if the initial responder is not armed, if the person you've set that, 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 that system in motion upon resists, eventually somebody with a gun will come. And if they resist then, they will up to the point of killing them to enforce any law. Any law. The state will enforce any law up to the point of death if necessary. A speeding ticket warrant. Well, they don't go out and shoot somebody for that. What if I say, no, I won't go with you, and I fight back when you try to take me away? Well, now you're being ridiculous. Jack. Like, no, I'm not. Not if you're the person making the phone call. If you wouldn't point a gun at somebody, don't point a cop at them. It should be the last result. So that's step one. Step two, develop the ability to detect logical fallacies in yourself and others. If you're not aware of the most common logical fallacies, you should teach yourself a logical fallacy a day or every other day until you, you can easily explain 20 common logical fallacies. If you can't explain what moving the goalpost is, if you can't explain what the Texas sharpshooter is, or cherry picking, or false equivalency, if you can't explain these things, then you are basing a lot of your life on lies. And most of what you're basing lies, your life on lies are, are what we would call comforting lies. In other words, we all have our own perception bias, right? We all have our own lens that we view the world through and the way we want things to be. So we seek out information that confirms our beliefs, and if we can use false equivalency to do that, oh, well, these two things are the same. No, they're not. Very few things are actually identically the same. So we at least need to identify the differences before we use the equivalency to ascertain information. Right? How are these two things not the same? Then we can start to define how they are the same, and do they even relate? Do they even relate? And so I think it is one of the most important steps that you can take because the, 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 the use of language and intertwining of analogy, which is always why I'm very careful when I do it, an intertwining of comparison, etc., and leveraging of what you know the person listening wants to hear is very effective. And it only can happen with the emergence of some logical fallacy of what is being sold as a lie or a half-truth. There's always logical fallacy within it. An example would be, and since I'm not in YouTube today, I guess I can say this, when it came out that hydroxychloroquine in combination with zinc and antibiotics given early to COVID patients improved outcomes, it was attacked. Now, there's a lot of different ways to attack that. One would be it doesn't work. I think that it does. I think the evidence is overwhelming that it does, especially when used, as I said, with zinc early on in conjunction with antibiotics for secondary infections to at-risk patients. But that was never tested. 
We tested it in pieces and parts to make sure that it would fail. But there's, there's one side of that that does it work. And then if it does work, well, what does that mean? Does it improve outcomes by 50%, 70%, 10%? How much is enough to make it worth it? Those are all legitimate discussions. But the absolute fallacy, which was an overt lie, is that it was dangerous to take hydroxychloroquine. Literally one of the safest medications on planet Earth sold over-the-counter in like 70% of the world. One of the most proven and safest modern medications that we have, and we were told it was dangerous to take except in a hospital under the supervision of a doctor. That's an overt lie. Where they got into it with more of a logical fallacy and false equivalency is when ivermectin came into the discussion. They called it horse paste, right? A veterinary medication, right? Do you know what, do you know what uh, is a veterinary medication? Steroid hydrocortisone. My dog had a problem recently, and it, 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 they gave him a cortisone injection. Does that mean cortisone is a veterinary medication? Yeah, in a way, yeah, it does. But if you go to your doctor, they might inject you with cortisone, and so it was a false equivalency that because it's used on animals, it's an animal medication, not a human medication. You have to learn the logical fallacies to see the logical fallacies. You have to know what they are and become well-versed in them. Next, create or find a nonprofit truly consistent with your views. This might not sound like anarchy at all, but I believe that anarchy is the absence of tyranny. I believe that the ultimate source of tyranny is the state, because even when it comes from an oligarchy, corporatocracy, etc., an elite group that are private, that without government to protect them, they would not be able to be half as powerful as they are. So anything I can do to deny revenue to the state, I'm going to do. And anything I can do to take money that would go from me to the state to do a thing I don't want done, which I find to be tyranny like bombing a hospital in another part of the world that never did anything to me. I find that to be reverent. I don't want that done with my money. So whatever I can do to make as much of my money do the thing that I want done versus the thing I don't want done, I'm going to do because that reduces tyranny in my life. And if you don't think that's the case, I want you to consider another analogy here. Let's say that somebody broke in your house and stole your gun took it to a pawn shop, sold it, got money, and your gun ended up disappearing and never did any harm, never did any damage, but you never got it back, you never got the money, it just the guy got away with it. You'd be pretty upset. What if the guy broke in, stole your gun, and shot a child with it, and said, I took your gun to shoot a child with, and I specifically took yours, specifically to shoot this kid? Isn't it worse? Isn't it worse? It was taken without your consent, and then something horrible was done with it. That's taxation. Because I'll tell you this about taxation. You take the most dyed-in-the-wool, full-on communist on one side of the political spectrum, or fascist, because they go on the same side of the spectrum. I'm not going to change it to make you feel better and make it the way they taught you it was in ninth grade. Tyranny goes on one side of the spectrum. On the other side of the spectrum, we have the absence of tyranny, i.e. voluntarism, anarchy. Just one little bit in, though, we have libertarianism, minarchism, 
smallest government possible. From that all the way over to full-blown communism, fascism, and everything in between, everybody in that spectrum will say, well, here's a thing that government does with tax money that I find not just wrong, but reprehensible. So I want to channel as much of my income, my money, my power as possible to doing things that I want done to reduce tyranny in my life. Next, and this is more than just alcohol. It's anything you can use to avoid what I call sin taxes. Well, I'll say make your own alcohol. Make your own alcohol. Print your own guns. If you are a smoker, grow your own tobacco. Roll your own cigarettes. Even if you're a smoker, I think smoking is a bad habit. I think it does nothing for you positively from a health standpoint. I don't think you should do it, but if you want to, you're free to do so. And it's even going to save you money. I've seen people basically buy cigarette casings and buy a specific pipe tobacco and stuff them themselves, and they save a fortune in taxes that way. I don't know exactly how it works because I don't smoke, but whatever it is, whether it's reloading your own ammunition, growing your own food, all of these things, anything that takes complete control of a thing in your life so that it's no longer taxed or taxed less falls under this make-your-own-alcohol. Go buy a, a, a bottle of vodka and then figure out how much it takes to make a bottle of vodka. And there's a huge spread in there. Now, some of it's the brand and the name and whatever, and some of it's better than others and what have you. But a huge portion of it is taxes. That's why there's an ATF, by the way, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Don't seem to go together, but they do, because they're the most commonly used barter items in the world. You go anywhere in the world, and you can barter using guns and ammo, tobacco products, and alcohol. And they're the things that have been most circumvented from the state system, legally and illegally both. That's why we have an ATF. So make your own. Fill in the blank, right? Use Avoid using the state's money when possible. This is a harder one, right? I mean, I am not one of these Bitcoin people that's like, get on zero. I'm not one of these people that are like, you know, barter is always better. Because I have to have something you want, and you have to have something I want for that to work. That's why we created money in the first place. And, and I'm not a person that's going to tell you we can just switch to an economy and do all of our trade with silver, because what happens when you do that, Bitcoin, silver, gold, everybody still prices the good or service in dollars and then converts the market value of the intermediate exchange, right? So I know that there's a limit to this. But I know that I store my long-term wealth in gold and silver and Bitcoin. And I self-custody those things. I self-custody those things. In other words, my silver is somewhere locked away very, very safe but I have the ability to open the safe. My Bitcoin is secured by 12 words, and I do not hold on an exchange. So however you're going to protect your wealth, do so in a way where you have custody of your wealth. And this is where there's a limitation on real estate. Now, I am not one of these people that you'll never own your property because they're going to charge you sales tax. I'm sorry, property tax. So you're renting your property back from the state. That's the system we live in. That's the interactive edge. Because you have two choices. 
You can pay your property tax, yeah, or you can pay mine. People that are like, well, I rent, man. I'll never own because I'll never own anyway. Well, you, you don't think – all you're doing is paying your landlord's mortgage, insurance, and property tax. And you're getting no equity gain on the property. You're being leveraged as a tool to make the other party wealthy. There's more wealth built with real estate in this country than anything else ever. It's one of the most powerful things that you can do in this country is own and leverage real estate by renting it to somebody else. So if you want to rent, go ahead and make other people wealthy. That's fine. But there is a limit because it is taxed. So if I were to buy a million dollars worth of property to store a million dollars worth of value and know that property generally beats inflation against the currency, I still have eating away the property tax on that property. If that property tax is, let's say it's undeveloped million-dollar property, it's $10,000 a year. Over 10 years, I've lost 10% of the initial value of the property just in taxes. If I'm holding a million dollars worth of Bitcoin for 10 years, it costs me nothing to store it. And that's not don't buy real estate. It means understand how you're avoiding using the state's money. The property allows me to hold dirt as a store of value and, 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 and to have value because of that and to take wealth forward in time and to eventually exchange that property for something else if I choose to or to borrow against it. But it's also eaten away by taxes. Things like Bitcoin, well, they, they avoid that. And I really, I'm going to say one last time, you guys that hold Bitcoin or other crypto, if you're holding on an exchange in 2022 and that exchange locks up your funds, uh, turns your funds over to the government, or becomes insolvent and loses your funds, or gets hacked and loses your funds, or anything else that costs you your money and you chose to hold on an exchange. Some of you are really going to hate what I'm about to say, but it's the truth. You effing deserved it to happen to you at this point. You deserve it. It doesn't have to be that way. I have an article linked in today's show notes that tells you exactly what to do so that it can never happen to you. But if you're letting someone else control your wealth, you're not controlling your wealth. The only point of crypto is self-custody. The only point of Bitcoin is self-custody. Without taking control, you have nothing. You have the promise of a thing. Just a thought. Next, start a business. That's not very anarcho. You mean like a legitimate above-ground business, you know, where you pay taxes and everything? Oh, mon frere. Yeah, but I pay less taxes than you, and I always will, unless you own a business too. I'm sitting in a, in a room right now that I love to sit in when I do my podcast. I have beautiful fish tanks in it. There's no reason fish tanks can't be in an office. Have you ever been to a dentist's office and seen fish tanks? Yeah, right? And because I run a business, my accountant takes the square footage of my house and the total cost of my property and back fees it through a formula that was created by the IRS, by the way, that says you get to deduct this much off your taxes for existing in this room that you have anyway. That's one example. When I go out to eat, most of the time my meals involve something to do with the business. My wife is a partner in the business. We're always talking about the business. Half the meal is deductible. I buy a thing to review, I deduct the thing from the taxes that comes from the income from doing the reviews. 
And there's a hundred other ways that I will pay less tax by having a business than by being an employee. Doing everything completely, quote, legally, unquote. Okay? I'm not talking wink, wink, nod, nod, fence post stuff here. I'm talking walking into my accountant's office with all my revenue and everything that I think is an expense and going through it with her to make sure that I'm not declaring an expense that I can't or declaring an expense in the wrong way. I'm talking about playing their game. I'm talking about understanding one more time that the United States tax code is as thick as two 1980s yellow pages books from a major city like Jacksonville, Florida. Massive, huge amount of code. But only 5 to 10% is what you have to do. And the rest of it is literally how you get out of it. Legally. And most of that, how you get out of it, does not pertain to employees. It was written by lawyers, companies, and Congress clowns that own companies and have lawyers. And most of them are lawyers. Okay? They wrote it for themselves. When you, when you become a business owner, in at least some way you become one of them. You become subject to using the things that they wrote for themselves. But there's another side. It's not just a money equation. It's a time equation. If I decided Monday... I don't want to do a podcast. Now, there's natural law consequence. Jack didn't do a podcast. Maybe I'm not going to listen to his show as regularly because he's not as regular with his production. You know, but I just would do a rewind or just say there's no show today. When I want to take a vacation, I take a vacation. If I wanted Friday off, but I didn't want natural law to hurt me, I can just work harder for four days and do five shows in four days. Sometimes I do that. That type of flexibility is freedom. It doesn't come with a job. You work for me, and you give me your sob story, and maybe I care. But do I care enough to allow it to change your reality? And the answer is most of the time, no. Now, if your wife's in the hospital on the edge of death, and you need to go be with her for a week, fine. But at the end of that week, I don't care that your life's hard. Either you come back to work, or you, you don't work here anymore. Now, if I have 20,000 employees and one guy's gone, that's maybe not the case, right? There's different levels of comfort. You know, you're going to give up more working for a 20,000-person company than working for somebody with 20. But if I have 10 employees and you're gone, that's, that's 10% of my workforce. That's, that hurts. And if you're one of my key people, and those are the ones that tend to have more issues going on in their lives, well, then it really hurts. Maybe you're 10% of the workforce but you're paid 20% of the wages and you're, you're earning them. But that's what means you're not doing the thing. So I'm only going to give you so much. Do you have to ask your boss to take vacation? Let's say you're like, I want to take vacation in April next year. Do you have to put in for it? Can your boss say no? Then you don't have as much freedom as a business owner. Done. The end. What if you are an employee and your state does something really stupid with state income tax? It's going to cost you $10,000 more a year to live in your state. If you're an employee, you're kind of screwed. If you're a business owner, you move the location of your corporation and you move. Now, maybe you decide not to, but you have the option. There is nothing that frees a human being more than having a source of income not tied to somebody who can shut it off at will. 
That's why I put it right after, you know, stop using the state's money. Also say make more of the state's money. So you can convert it to things that are not the state's money. But the problem with the state's money is the state has control of the faucet. And they can shut you off. They can lock the money down. You were a bad boy. We're going to lock your bank account up. Good friend in this audience. The state of Massachusetts said he owed them income tax. He said, no, I don't. They were arguing about it. He was reporting. He, they were getting back and forth. They were going through you know, the arbitration system and whatever, yeah. And, and, and one day Massachusetts decided, you know, the hell with this. They froze his bank account and took the money out of it. And the bank said, okay, here's his money. Yeah? That's the problem with the state's money. The more you move into entrepreneur, the more control you have over the form your money's in and where it goes and how it comes in and how it goes out. And you can do everything legally, everything completely by the book, and you're still 100 times better off than the employee who even cheats. And the employee who cheats is way more likely to get caught than the business that maybe does things a little bit in the gray area. Way more likely. Next, form a group that gets positive things done. Create some form of community around you. You know, like Nicole Sauce and the folks up in Tennessee, they have to get shit done crew, where they go to somebody's house. and they, It can be that, but it can be anything. Some group that you're part of. It could be you guys get together once or twice a month, have a couple drinks, and talk about life. It could be that simple. It could be a dart leak, like we were talking about earlier, right? Something. Because when you have that in your life, you feel less alone, but the bigger thing is you have more options. I want you to think about, create whatever scenario works for you. The times are about to be tough, not for the whole world, for you. You've lost a job, you barely have enough money to pay the rent at the end of the month. You're going to get through that month, but you don't know what's going to happen in the next month. You've got to go out and try to find a new job, and the economy's not doing great. That scenario. Or another one, whatever works for you. And in scenario 1A, because it's the same scenario, but 1A, you pretty much live alone. You don't have a broader community of people that you're part of. You don't have a, a Thursday night dart match with 10 guys who really like you and you meet other people peripherally around them. You don't have a gardening group that you're part of, whatever it is. You don't have that. In scenario 1B, you do. And so it, this happens to you on a Tuesday. You have a couple of days go by. Thursday night you go out for your dart league or your gardening club or whatever it is. And you say to all your friends, this is what just happened to me. In which scenario, 1A or 1B, do you see yourself coming out of the other end of it on top more quickly and more easily? And the answer is probably 1B, because what will happen inevitably is somebody will say, hey, you know what? This isn't long term, but down at my place right now, we're, we're hiring temporary people. Until you find something else, I can get you on. Or, hey, I need a thing done at my shop. Can you come in and do that, and I'll give you a few hundred bucks, and that'll help you? Like, I know somebody that knows somebody. Having that network effect is huge. And it's one thing people think they have networks, but it's just I know a bunch of people. And I'm going to tell you, when I was in regional, regional sales, I would have people that would lose a job, and I was in the network, 
And they would reach out and say, you know, I'm looking, do you know of anything? Now, if I knew of something right off the bat, yeah. But I was based in Pennsylvania, and I get somebody calling me, for instance, this happened to somebody that worked in, I, at the time I had Eastern Canada as part of my territory, and she worked in Canada. I don't know anybody in Canada. She's not moving to the United States. But I wasn't really motivated. Like, to get on the phone and say, hey, you know, uh, my rep, Caroline, that worked for this rep firm, lost her job, um, good gal, do you know anybody that knows anybody? Like, I wasn't motivated to do that. If she was a friend, a personal friend that was part of a group, well, I'll move mountains to help. So make sure you're part of some larger community. Because... We can't do this alone. And that doesn't mean you have to be in an anarcho group. Not everybody in there has to be an anarchist. In fact, it's probably better that you have multiple groups and some of them don't even know that you would refer to yourself that way. Because this is about humans helping humans. Next, be at least a basic prepper. I don't think you can be an anarchist and not be a prepper at all. I think you're a phony. I think you're a fake. Because it's going to only be a matter of time before there will be a problem in your life and you will be a burden to the system you claim to oppose when it happens because you're not prepared for anything. And what you need to do as a prepper is none of this bullshit, I want to be the gray man, prepper man. I don't want no one to know I'm a prepper. No one to know I have any extra stuff, man. I'm going to hide out when the nuclear zombie apocalypse comes. I'll be in my hole and I'll survive and everybody else will die. Go off. Screw off to fantasy land. I don't have any time for any of that shit. You guys have been around for 15 years with me. You know that. I don't have time for that crap. No, you need to step up when others fall down. So when there's a problem in our neighborhood, we check on the neighbors. Do you need anything? I don't want them coming to me. You know what? Most people won't come to you. That's why you have to go to them. You have to be the outreach. Hey, you know... um, I can't give you my generator, but we have power over here. Do you want to bring your cell phone stuff over and charge it up? Do you want to come over and take a shower? We have water. I know you don't because you're on a well like us and you don't have you don't backup power. Do you want to come over and use our freaking laundry? Right? I mean, if it lasts long enough. Like, we help our neighbors. And we will always be willing to help our neighbors. Now, the beauty is we haven't had to do much because most people that live where we do are kind of somewhat preppers. When you live... Not off-grid, but you live where if, if the power's out, everything's out, you tend to think about it. Most people, if their power goes out, the water in their sink still works. The water in their sink still works. The power doesn't work, but the power still does, right? Like, we're kind of in a place where, like, the electricity goes off, nothing works. So, immediately we're going to switch to, well, our grill our stove, our oven, all that's on gas. So now that works. Now we're going to have a generator, and we have a bypass switch, and we can plug the generator into the house, and then the air conditioner will run, and the well will run. And maybe not everything runs, but stuff runs. But that means can we help you? And it was, it is the best way to spread prepping, because instead of the crazy prepper, you're the person that helped. But you also need to do it for yourself if you mean what you say, if you want freedom in your life. Freedom means I don't want to have to listen to the state. Well, that means you don't want to rely on them either. Next, grow some of your own food. I don't care how much. I don't care what. I don't care what it looks like. Something. 
if for no other reason to come into touch with that part of the natural being that you are. I've been to parts of the world that don't have all the resources that we have here in the United States. And I can tell you that in those places, everybody, everybody is some level of a gardener or a farmer. Everybody. Because it's something that can be done about a problem that everybody has. And I'll tell you what, in places like that, a lot of government tier, and they live in countries, by the way, that have a lot less general overall freedom than we do. But when you're in those rural areas, it's pretty free. Nobody's telling nobody what to do. And the state doesn't have time to come out and worry about this little village of, of 1,100 people. You know, in rural Honduras, for instance. The, the people there really couldn't have cared less what the government said. They really didn't care. I, I, I don't think most of them would have been able to tell you five laws the government had. They could tell you what they wouldn't do. They weren't running around killing each other or anything like that, despite what the TV might lead you to believe. But they all participated in some way in procuring and growing their own food because they could. And I think it's essential. Essential. I don't care if it's you grow microgreens or you do sprouts or you have an herb garden on your patio. But I think to truly like tie into, because what we're talking about is tying into an innately human component of to who and what you are. We talk about living this way. And I think that is a very, and okay, if it's not growing your own food, procure your own fish, hunt, forage, something like that. Self-educate and constantly follow your passions. Another way to look at that would be become a polymath. A jack of all trades and a master of some. But always be learning something new. And always be following your passions. Because that's how an a, a innately human being lives. Do you think before the dawn of the state, the human sat around and went, hmm... How can I get myself into a desk from 9 to 5? They would have found that horrific that anybody would live that way. What do you think people did? If their basic survival needs were covered, they pursued whatever interested them. They pursued whatever interested them. Because wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Let's say you didn't have to really worry about rent or mortgage or an electric bill or anything like that. I just gave you a place. Here's your place. It's 100 acres. Most of it wooded. The house, a dwelling of some kind, self-regulates in temperature. You're not going to freeze. You're not going to starve. And there's enough food that you can eat. Right? And, and you might take vacations and go to another place. And you might go out and interact with the interactive edge of the world and all. But you'd probably spend most of your time there. And what would you do? Well, whatever the hell you felt like. So what would you learn? Whatever you wanted to learn. We have, we, have, we have evolved into a system where people have learning forced upon them, and therefore they become, actually they begin to hate the concept of learning, when learning is one of the most innately human and enjoyable pastimes that we have, is learning. But we, we see learning as a thing that you do to tick a box, so I can get a job, so I can get a diploma, so I can get out of here and get to the next place, and then go get a job. So you're not behaving like a human. And what are you learning in those scenarios? Now, again, I don't crap on all of it. 
If you want to be a doctor, then the university system is going to be the path you're going to have to take. An engineer, you're probably going to have to take that path. And a lot of other career paths. If you really want to do it, then you're probably going to take that existing path. But make no mistake about what you're being taught. 80% of it will never pertain to the thing that you have to do it in order to do. And it is all defined by the state, and it's all what they feel you need to learn. And it's less about what you learn and more about how it programs you to behave. Because they know you don't learn it. Because I'm telling you right now, you pull 20 people randomly off the street, and you keep pulling them until you get 20 people that got out of high school with a 3.5 or higher average, so a B-plus average, take their 11th grade final exams and give them to them, and most people would fail them all, or they'll pass the one in the discipline that they pursued professionally. So if they're a, a, a mathematician, they will pass the math one. Or an engineer, they'll pass the math one. But the history one, they'll probably fail it. So they know you don't retain the information. You don't, they know you don't learn it. But what happens is all of this information that goes in through their system of education is actually a system of indoctrination in that it programs the mind to think, behave, and act a certain way, to have an undying respect for the concept of authority and rules. Why do you think we lie to children and tell them stupid shit like it's going to go on your permanent record? There is no permanent record. Show me mine. If anybody out there is still at Possible High School from when I went to school in the 1980s, show me my permanent record. Show me Jack Spirico Jr.'s permanent frickin' record. I know Sasquatch escaped with it, right? He wrote a frickin' Winged unicorn that farted a rainbow right over the moon and took away my permanent record in a satchel on his shoulder. That, that's where it went, I guess. Why do we tell kids this? Why do we put them into a building and ring a bell and go from here to there and sit down when the other bell rings? You know one of my favorite Christmas movies, The Christmas Story, the BB gun one, right? When the kid gets stuck to the pole and he's, ah, the bell rang. But the bell rang. And they all go back in because you go in and you sit down, the bell rang. Doesn't matter your buddy stuck to a flagpole by his tongue. You do what you're told. And then you reinforce and you, you, you shotgun all these factoids into people's heads, many of them which are untrue. And you know that they will not retain them all, but they'll retain enough to retain the programming to be socialized. Right? And we need a social life. Your children will not have sufficient socialization. If they do not go to public school. Well, what about socialization for homeschooling? Hold on. Let's use the right word. When you hear socialization, you think like having friends. Yeah? Yeah. You think like having activities, right? Having other kids around. You know, living in the real world. Having a community of, of peers. Do you think that's what they really mean when they say that? Don't they tell kids all the time, you're not here to socialize, shut up and listen, Timmy and Tammy? Don't talk to each other, right? Is it constantly a battle? So is that what they're really worried about? No. The word socialize, when we say socialized, socialization for kids in school, hard for you to accept what I'm about to tell you, but we're using the word as we use it when we talk about taking a dog with us in the car and going places and exposing the dog to other human beings so the dog will be socialized, in other words, obedient, and not bite people, bark at people, be afraid of people, be able to be a non-dog, 
Because honestly, what is the what is a dog's natural state? It's a wild canine who has its pack and its territory and doesn't leave it and defends it. So we socialize a dog so that it will fit in our world. There's another word for that type of socialization. Domestication. When they say that they need your child to go to their schools for socialization, they don't mean it the way that you accept the word. They mean domesticate. I want to domesticate your child. I want them to understand when to wake up, when to go to sleep, what kind of job to have. Right? Who to trust as an authority and who not to trust as an authority. I want to program your child to the point where unless a book says it and an expert reinforces it, it's not true. You cannot learn from yourself. You can only learn from others who already know and are blessed and certified. So the only way to fix that is you have to self-educate. Because you probably went through that system just like I did. And you will fight it till the day that you die. So the next one is if you have kids in your life, whether they're your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, whatever, when I say kids here, teach children how to self-educate. That, that is like the most important thing we can do because we've already, most of us already went through the ringer. Most of us were not homeschooled. And what, for whatever reason, your kid or kids or children that you are part of can't be homeschooled, you at least need to teach them how to self-educate. Teach them how to... Okay, you're going to go to the school, and they want this answer. And you know the answer they want, or the form they want the answer in. So you do that to comply inside that system. But understand, son, daughter, child, you are working that system because you have to. Because you're in it, I'm sorry, you are. So you have to do things their way in that system. But it doesn't mean you have to believe it. It doesn't mean you have to believe it. Teach the trivium. Teach the trivium of education. And if you've never heard this term before, it is the core. It is the lower division of the, the seven, seven liberal arts that classical education was built on. And people, when they hear lower, they think that that means less important. No, it's the foundation. A person well-versed in the trivium has the ability across time to learn anything that they ever need to or wish to learn. It's grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Grammar is the ability to communicate, okay? And it's the ability to take in information through language. So it's the ability to read, the ability to write, right? And the ability to understand the language that you live in. So if you're an American, you live in the world of the English language. And, and that's what grammar is. And I, I don't think you really have to explain the need to be able to speak and read and write the language as, as, a, as an important component to learning. The way I explained this to my granddaughter when she was struggling learning to read and she really didn't want to because it was hard, was that reading was a superpower. That if you could read, no one could ever hide anything from you ever again. You would be able to know anything that you want to know. You'd be able to know about any place that you ever wanted to know about. You'd be able to know about anything or any person or any concept that you ever wanted to, and no one would be able to stop you. A five-year-old's like, whoa, wait a minute, this sounds pretty freaking cool.
She ran out to her grandma, I want to learn to read, I want to learn to read. I want to learn to read. Right? You can't make someone want, but you can expose to them the reasons that they might decide for themselves they want. So we have to have a core grasp of, logic, of grammar. The next thing in the trivium is logic. There's a lot of ways that people explain logic, but this is how I explain it to kids. It's the ability to, to use what you do know to make a reasonable guess about what you don't know. To take the information that I do have, the problem that I'm looking at, and extrapolate the most logical reality based on that. And then to safely test it, so if I'm wrong, I don't get hurt, and I can keep adjusting until I discover the truth in this thing. That's logic. And rhetoric is, is what I'm doing right now. We, we've destroyed the word rhetoric because we use the phrase empty rhetoric. Well, that's like saying that you know an empty gas tank means the gas tanks are bad. Right? Empty rhetoric means that the, the, the rhetoric you're using is meaningless. It has nothing behind it. There's no, there's no logic or command of grammar within it to make it make sense. You're speaking word salad or you're writing word salad. But rhetoric is that ability to communicate what you know to others so that they can understand it. And this is important as much to teaching as it is to learning because if I'm trying to learn from you, it's important that you understand what I already know. It's also important that you understand that maybe what I think is that I do know I'm wrong about. I have to be able to effectively communicate with you, I believe these things because of these things. And then you can say, oh, I see, it's, it, it's step three that you got wrong. Let me show you where you're wrong. So if you can't communicate with others well through rhetoric, then you can't communicate to them in a way where they can teach you back. You can't have good discourse. You can't make a case for what you already know. And if you have the ability to, to read, to write, to communicate, to use logic, then there is nothing you cannot learn. You know, people say, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic. If you can, if you can communicate well, if you can use logic, you can use rhetoric, you can learn mathematics. And most people will end up learning exactly as much mathematics as is necessary for them to accomplish the things that they want in their life. But it all starts with knowing that that core is so important. Because it takes away fear. Because one of the ways that the state maintains a monopoly on education is creating fear. But what if? But what if? You start saying, well, what if, what if my son wants to go to Harvard? Well, look, dude, your son is either going to go to Harvard because they, you know, from homeschool or from state school, or they're not. But the kid that's not going to Harvard will not all of a sudden go to Harvard because you put him in the right state school. And is, is that what he wants or she wants? Does that even matter? But, oh, well, what if they don't? What if? What if? Every time you have the discussion with somebody that's new to the concept of taking this, the child away from the state's education system, everything that they say is a fear. It's a, a, it's a fear, and it generally is based on nothing, but they don't know it's based on nothing because they don't understand the concept that if you give any human being this core, there's nothing they can't learn. 
And if they end up deciding they need to go to a specific school or get a certain certification, then they can go do that if that indeed is. But what we're trying to do with the modern education system is cast the net so wide that by the time a kid's in 12th grade, they have the ability to pursue any career path as though they've been preparing for it their whole life, which is insane. It's absolutely insane. Because most people won't do whatever the thing is you're afraid they won't be able to do anyway. And many, many people that do a thing that parents steer them towards end up hating it and resenting it. So teach your children to self-educate and practice self-education yourself. And lastly, trust absolutely nothing. The state or the media or the corporatocracy, big tech, any of it. Trust nothing they say. Trust nothing they communicate. That doesn't mean that none of it's true. But trust nothing. Trust nothing from your government. Zero. I mean zero. Now, if the government tells you the sky's blue and you already know the sky's blue, okay. But you, I, I would tell you that I practice this rule so religiously. If you said, Jack, what color is the sky on most days? Right now it's gray, right? But on a typical day, what color is the sky during the middle of the day? It's blue. If the government came out tomorrow and said the sky is blue, I would say, wait a minute. We all know this. Why are you saying that now? And I might probably going to come to the conclusion that for this time they're not lying. But I'm going to doubt it even if it's that blatant. Because why are you telling? Or I'm going to say, even if this is true, what are you using it to lie about? So imagine you catch your kid in the act of doing something they're not supposed to do, being naughty. And you ask them what's going on and they start telling you a story. And the first part of the story is completely plausible. And you believe every word to be the truth. What are you also thinking? Well, they're setting me up. To, to, to use an excuse to go around what they did or to convince me that it's somebody else's fault, not their. Like, you know what's going on in the kid's mind when they start with, well, see, yesterday Billy said. And what I'm asking you about is why I caught you cheating on your writing assignment, right? And you whatever it is, you know, and so you know there's an agenda there. So even when the government makes a statement or a corporation or a corporate entity or group of entities or uh, big tech or the media makes a statement that in of itself is true, I'm always looking for what, what, what's coming next, and I don't trust. Never trust, always verify. That's why I like self-custody of my Bitcoin. I don't have to trust. I can verify there it is. I have it. I possess it. I have the 12 keywords. I'm running a node. The network is where the network says it is. Everything is good. I have no trust whatsoever. I have verification in that. And that's how I view everything that comes off the Internet, even from people I like. Even from people I trust. Still don't trust your information. But if you are part of the machine, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, etc., if you are part of big tech, Twitter, Facebook, even the smaller ones. If you're part of the oligarchy, if you're part of the WEF, damn well don't trust you. Royal family, whatever it is, any part of the machine, anything they say at any point, I assume it is a lie 
until otherwise proven to not be a lie. And if you don't, then you are susceptible to massive manipulation because they lie all the time, all the time. This is what I want to tell you about. Here's an example of how deceitful these people are. You know, I said at the beginning of the show that I'm not on YouTube today because I'm suspended from YouTube again. Okay, here's what happened. On July 21st, 2021, I did a video talking about the importance of free speech. And one of the things I said in it is the last election, we don't even know if it's valid because we weren't allowed to talk about it. That video, which is now 18 months old, popped up today. I got an email from YouTube saying that that video had been removed for dangerous misinformation. I said also in that video that free speech was important. Maybe maybe Google thinks that, that free speech uh, is not important. And it's dangerous misinformation to tell you that it is. There was a little bit about the COVIDs in it, but there was no medical information in there at all. I complained about the fact that we couldn't discuss it, but I had just been banned for a week. I was just coming back from a ban when I did this video. And they go and they say, there's misinformation in this video. We have to take it down. It was fine for 18 months. All of a sudden, you have to take it down. I trust nothing from these people. How is this the problem now? I bet you nobody. I bet you nobody's even watched that video in the last month. Some algorithm or some witch hunt somewhere tracked it down, and we got to stop this to protect people. There's your lie. These policies, whether they're corporate policies or government policies, they don't exist to protect you. Everybody wants to know if that Sam Bankman freed from FTX is going to go to prison. If he does, it'll only be because, well, you know, we, gotta, we need a fall guy here. But don't think that the SEC exists to protect you. They exist to protect the system that extorts you. Don't believe anything these fucking people say ever, even if it's true. Don't just believe it because they said it. Do not grant authority to anybody that you don't know that you can trust. And even then, accept that anybody can be wrong. But you can't grant trust because someone has a title, like president or senator or congressman. Most people understand that, but you can't trust somebody to be right just because they have the title of teacher. Well, they're a state-certified teacher, so you're trusting the state. They're regurgitating the material the state gave them and told them to teach when they gave them a certification that says your certification is contingent upon you teaching things the way that we told you to teach them. And you trust that? Because you're a product of it. If you weren't a product of it, you would never trust that. Think about how ridiculous it is that we trust anything and do it by taking yourself out of it. Imagine that you came to this country from a truly free place, a little island nation somewhere, where pretty much everybody was left to themselves. And you came here, and then somebody said, well, you can trust what this thing says, and your gut says, that's not true. And you say, well, how do you know? Well, there, it came from a state-certified teacher or a scientific expert. And you say, well, explain to me how that worked. And then somebody explained to you how it worked. Assuming you know how it works, I don't have to rehash the whole thing right now, whether it's the teacher, the expert, whatever, from academia, right? Well, Fauci said so. He's government and academia, both, and corporate talk, all three together, triple the, the, the trinity of unholy alliance there, right? The very essence of fascism. 
What would you say? Say this is stupid. I, I want. I'm going back to home. I don't want anything to do with this. This is insanity. But what, I would trust them because the system that tells me to trust them says to trust them. How stupid are you? But we do. We do. Well, he wouldn't lie. Well, why not? Human. One of the greatest shows that was ever on television, and I think it's part of why they ruined it by the end, was House M.D. House M.D., if you've never seen it, it's a medical mystery show. At least it started out that way. It became a soap opera. But in the beginning, the concept was there's a patient, they have an illness, and we can't diagnose the illness because, in Dr. House's words, everybody lies. Nobody ever tells 100% of the truth, and this is something that's so complex and hard to figure out that we need the full truth to know what we're really dealing with. And it changed, and it wasn't as good a show anymore once, we, once they left that ethos of everybody lies. And it, by the way, it was based on the Sherlock Holmes mysteries. That's why he lives at uh, the 221B, his, his house's door number, and 221B Baker Street was Sherlock Holmes, and there's Dr. Watson, elementary, my dear Watson, Dr. Wilson is Dr. Watson, and Holmes had a drug addiction in house. See, that's what it is, right? But that's, that's what it was. It was that everybody lies. Don't trust anybody. Trust the facts. That's all I'm saying. And again, anybody who came from anything outside of our system would just be horrified at the absolute level of faith that we put in people because of title and position. So don't do it. Final thoughts today. I invite you to rethink anarchism. We're coming to the end of another year. We're heading toward the holiday shutdown for the podcast and in many people's lives. That's a good time for thinking. If you made it through this one, but you're still like, I can't be an anarchist because, wait a minute. I want you to think about why you can be an anarchist. Why maybe you should be an anarchist. Or I want you to think about it another way. Stop thinking binary. Ones and zeros. The switch is on or off. This is the number one way that humans are controlled. You have to vote. Not voting is not an option. Oh, now you have to vote for the Republican or the Democrat because the third party is wasting your vote. These are binary choices. We take a binary choice into a, a, a you know, three-way choice and say, but one of them is no good, so it's back to binary again. You have to be pro-vax or anti-vax. You can't say, well, you know, I think that there's a lot of vaccines out there that seem to have a good track record of working, and I don't trust this one. Well, no, 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 no. You either trust all vaccines, even though we changed the definition of the word vaccine to call this thing a vaccine that's not a vaccine, or you're anti-vax. You don't want to be anti-vax, do you? Binary. Anytime you can put somebody into a binary decision-making process... You can either force them to your side of the binary choice, or you can give two choices that you're okay with, yeah? And then you don't care which one they pick, you just care that they pick. That's why they get fucking pissed off when you say you don't vote, or you vote for a third party, or whatever. Anything, as soon as you step outside of the monkey shit fight, both monkeys turn and throw shit at you. They can't stand it, because they've been conditioned to think binary. Have you never heard of a dimmer switch, my dear friends? You go into a room, you just flip the lights on, you're like, wow, it's too bright. You shut the lights on, you're like, wait a minute, too dark. You install a dimmer switch. 
and different times of the day, you provide as much illumination or as little illumination as you want in that room. Understand that anarchism is a continuum like that. It's up to you how much anarchism you bring into your life to combat tyranny in your life. Because how do we define freedom? The absence of tyranny. Not the ability to do anything you want, because you either already have that and you don't like the consequences, or you're in denial of the fact that you already have that. You can do anything you want. No one will stop you. Consequences will come on the other side, though. So if we go to the absence of tyranny, then our goal becomes to remove as much or circumvent as much tyranny as we can. So I already explained to you, you are an anarchist. Every time you, obey, you refuse to obey a law, and you're strategic about it so you don't go to jail or something like that, but you refuse to obey a law because you do not believe that it makes sense or harms anybody else, you are practicing anarchy. Whether it's 1% of your life or 10% of your life or 100% of your life, it's up to you. Every time you choose to abstain from something that's legal because you find it to be immoral or a bad decision, you are practicing anarchy. And I don't mean like you just never even occurred to you to do that. I mean, when you make a conscious decision to not do a thing, like when you think, hey, I could do this, it's illegal, but I don't think it's right, so I'm not going to. There obviously was the reason you considered doing it. There was some benefit, maybe in the immediate to doing it. There was nothing illegal about doing it. But you decided that there was something wrong with taking that action. Maybe you were afraid of the consequence, but many times we don't participate in the thing, not because we're afraid of the consequence, because we just don't believe it's the right thing to do. If you saw a bunch of stuff laying somewhere and you knew you could take it and get away with it, even though it might technically be illegal, and you chose not to because you think it's wrong to take other people's property, you're also practicing anarchy because you didn't obey the law. You obeyed your own moral code. And people often say when I talk this way, what if everybody did that? Then I think we would live in one of the happiest planets in the whole universe. Because most people don't want to harm others. And most people live miserable existence because they use the belief that they can't to justify an action and to not achieve their goals and to not pursue their dreams and to not do the things that they really want to do in their lives. I'll put it to you this way. You might say, Jack, I can't become an anarchist. Well, and you'll never become the full potential that you are as a human. You will be limited by the domestication that has been assigned to you by a society that cares not for you or your dreams. It cares for your obedience and your participation. Every single person who ever did anything truly amazing, whose name we remember, on some level was an anarchist. Every person that pushed a boundary past where it was supposed to be pushed was an anarchist, whether it was a law or a tradition. If it wasn't for anarchists, we'd still have slavery in most of the world. Do you think we got rid of slavery because of democracy or in spite of it? Really let that sink in. Do you think we got rid of slavery because of the state or in spite of it? What codified slavery into law wasn't the average person. It was the state-based system that decided that slavery was conducive to the goals of the state. 
That's how that worked out. Every single advancement of liberty came from anarchy. The refusal to obey a ruler just because they were appointed or named or voted a ruler. The people who smuggled Jews out of Germany in World War II, like my wife's grandfather, who ended up near death in a concentration camp when he was caught doing it, were anarchists. The legal recognized authority that took over their country said, you cannot do this, and they said, but I will anyway because it's the right thing to do. The people who refused to sit in the back of the bus because of their color, and it wasn't just Rosa Parks, were anarchists. Every advancement toward liberty from tyranny came from an anarchist. Gandhi's march to the sea is what I'll end on. I am not one of these people that elevates Gandhi to some kind of sainthood or something like that. I don't think that the man was perfect. But I believe he was the right person in the right place at the right time to fight for the liberty of his country. And most people don't even know the story of Gandhi's march to the sea. But the British saw India as a colony, and they controlled it ruthlessly. And they wanted a colony to be profitable. And the way the government creates profit is through taxation. Period. It's the only form of profit a government has is taxation. All different kinds of fees and tariffs, it's all taxation. It's all by force. You have to do it, and if you don't do it, you go to jail or you get shot or hung. Yeah? And that's, that's where revenue comes from in government. There's no other source of revenue in government other than taxation. I defy you to prove that wrong. So the government was like, you know, one thing we can have a tax on, because everybody uses it. It so long ago, we didn't have a lot of refrigeration or anything going around. It's fault. See, the problem is the whole Indian subcontinent is surrounded by oceans. I don't know if you know this or not. If you take water out of the ocean and put it in something and let it evaporate, it leaves salt behind. So there was a tremendous tradition in India of people making their own salt and, you know, people that lived a little closer to the ocean making salt and selling it for, you know, whatever they could get to people that lived a little further inland and things like that. Salt was made from the sea. Well, this is a problem if you want to tax salt. So the government of, of, of England, overseeing their colony of India, said, Thou shalt not make salt. Thou shalt pay tax on thy salt. Salt will be made by approved agencies only. We'll have the right to make salt. You can no longer put seawater in a bucket and make salt. Now, we all know, anarchy being the spirit of humanity... Plenty of Indians made salt. They made it on the down low, right? As we say today. I don't think they used that term back then. They made it on the down low. It's really hard to prevent somebody from filling a bucket up or a container up with water and letting it evaporate and getting salt out of it. But it was very much a black market thing. And most people that made salt made it for themselves. Now, they didn't have a bunch of commerce in salt. And they didn't say, hey, I'm going to make salt. Double middle finger to you standing over there with that piss helmet on. No. They were quiet about it. Gandhi said, I am going to make salt. And he started his long march to the sea. And he built up publicity. I will go to this place and I will make salt. 
Well, the interesting thing is he hadn't actually broken the law by declaring that he was going to make salt. There wasn't a law that said you cannot declare that you're going to make salt. You can't make salt. So the march was needlessly long to build up press, even at the time. So they were like, he's going to do it. What are they? Are they really going to arrest this person for making salt? And it was actually, in my opinion, it was that stone from David's sling that hit Goliath between the eyes. But unlike the biblical story where Goliath immediately collapses and David runs over and chops his head off, in the real story, the modern story, the Gandhi story, the rock hit the giant and mortally wounded the giant's grip. But it, took, it was like a, like, a, like, a, like a hemorrhage, an internal hemorrhage, a slow bleed that took time to actually cause the giant to stumble and fall. But that was the blow. Because it made England look so bad. Tell me it was not an anarcho-badass maneuver. I'm going to do the thing, and if you want to stop me, you can, but you will have to do it while the eyes of the world behold the tyranny that you are enacting on the Indian people, telling them they are not permitted to make salt from their own ocean. Every advancement against Tyranny has been an act of anarchy. Do you not think King George referred to the colonists as anarchists? I guarantee you that word rung out through the palace. I will not be told how to behave by these anarchists. They do not recognize my authority. No, sir, we do not. No, sir, I do not recognize your authority over me or my children or my family. I believe all authority of the state is illegitimate. That does not make me dangerous to anything except the construct of the state. It does not make me dangerous to my neighbor. I am the safest, best neighbor you could ever have. I'm not going to run around burning things down or blowing things up. Physically. But what I will always set fire to and blow up is false beliefs imprisoning the mind of man. You do not have to trust them, and you shouldn't. You do not have to live under the thumb of tyranny. There are ways around it. There are ways around it. The last thought, be like the pig, not the cow. Put pigs on a farm, surround it with, with hot wires, and eventually those pigs, if you leave one way out, they'll get out and they'll go feral. Even when they get trained to an electric wire, occasionally they'll be like, man, I really hope I'm wrong, but I haven't tried this in a long time, and they'll touch it and like, oh, shit. oh wait, let me touch it again. Oh, 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 he turned it off. He turned it off. Come on, boys, let's go. We're out of here. Once cattle learn what electric is, you can put up freaking kite twine. They'll stay in. When I first moved to Texas, it was the first time I ever saw uh, cattle guards. No, I had no idea what a cattle guard was. If you've never seen it, it would be like a gate on a ranch. There will be a bunch of pipes that a truck can drive across, and the pipes have gaps between them. And if a cow tries to walk on the cattle guard, 
it's will feet will slip in and it hurts them and they'll back off and they won't try to cross it. Apparently, you can teach a horse to, to walk across it. I've never seen it done, but I've been told they can teach a horse how to walk across the cattle guard. The cows never learn. But what amazed me the most was the guy that explained what they were to me said, the other thing is, once the cows know what they are, you can paint, back, paint black and white stripes on concrete, and they won't walk across that either because they think it's a cattle guard. The cow likes to be domesticated. Cattle only under extreme circumstances go feral. The cow is fully domesticated. The pig, I don't care if it's the pinkest pink-ass pig you can find. Give it a chance. It will go feral. It has not forgotten what it is. Your government seeks to make you a cow, so you need to be the pig. You need to go feral. To live as who and what you are. And don't worry that that means you'll be a bad human because you're being an actual human. You'll probably be a lot nicer of a person, a lot more helpful a person, a lot more benevolent of a person because you're not living in conflict with who and what you really are and what you naturally are. And the person that's a psychopath, a sociopath, the criminal, the true criminal that will victimize others, they're going to do it anyway, and half of them won't end up in prison. Half of them will end up as bureaucrats, politicians, and corporate heads. So they're going to do that shit anyway. The fact that you're even worried about it means that you won't. It means that you won't. If you, when you go grocery shopping, with no threat under penalty of law, after you put your groceries or your items in your trunk, back of your truck, your car, whatever, take that shopping cart with nobody pointing a gun at you, and you take it to the, to the cart return, and you make sure you put it inside the cart return so it doesn't roll and hit anybody else's car, and no one made you do it, means you will make a fine anarchist. If you just take that cart, when there's a shopping cart return you could take it to, and you don't give two shits and you just shove it off to the side, you don't care if the wind blows and hits somebody else's car, you're not qualified to be an anarchist. You're probably qualified to be a politician or a bureaucrat. That's the only litmus test you really need to know if this way of thinking is right for you. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. I want to remind you guys you can always help support this show, again, by becoming a member of the MSB. That's the Member Support Brigade. Discount code CHRISTMAS right now. Go to the Survival Podcast. Stick discount code CHRISTMAS in. Get the $50 annual membership for $35. Bucks. Great time to do it. It's Christmas. You can help yourself out. Help me out, right? Like, because MSB is how I pay the bills. You might think that, like, the best month of the year for me is December. It's actually the worst month. It's actually the worst month for membership revenue. Because it's not something people usually, you can definitely buy it for somebody to get, but it's not usually something people buy as a gift. They buy it for themselves. So in December, everybody's thinking about buying for others. Well, you can get all the discounts and use the discounts to buy for others. And it's a good deal. So Christmas discount code, MSB membership pays for itself. Next up, you can also help out by doing your online shopping starting at tspaz.com. And boy, do I got one for you today. If you like DeWalt tools, one of the best deals DeWalt ever does is available right now. And I'm actually going to click and make sure it's still available because this deal is not still available. This deal comes and it goes really fast when it happens. It is a combo kit. It is one of their best brushless hammer drills and one of their best brushless impact tools, a charger, and two 2-amp-hour two batteries. 
on sale for 179 bucks. 179 bucks. Now, this is why it's such a good deal. The the drill, the drill that's in this set for $179, if you go buy it as a bare tool right now, no charger, no batteries, exact same, just the drill is $150. Bucks. So that means $29 gets you an impact tool that's usually about $150 itself. That impact tool, by the way, is on sale for $107 bucks today. It's in the write-up as a standalone. So if you don't need a drill, but you you know you could add an impact tool, it's a good deal. So that impact tool is $107 bucks right now. Usually it's about $130, $140. But it happens to be on sale. The batteries would be about $90 bucks and the charger about $35. So you're getting the charger, the two batteries, and the impact tool if you look at it that way, for $29. If you already have a drill, and you're already on the DeWalt platform, and you don't need another drill, I would look, again, go look at the write-up on it and look at that, that impact tool. That is a deceptively powerful little tool. We ran in well over, at this point, 100 of the big, giant, 6.5-inch structural uh, lag screws, with my, and it never blinks. It, in the four by fours, it never blinks. It is an incredibly powerful tool. I personally love the wall. I know some of you guys are Milwaukee or rigid or whatever. That's fine. But if you want a great deal on DeWalt tools, check out this combo kit. The other thing is, there's if you're like I don't really need that jack, but I like the wall. There's a ton of shit on sale in the renewed store for DeWalt today. And I really recommend that if you haven't done so, you read my article on the Renewed program and learn about it. Amazon's Renewed program is not what it sounds like. It's not broken shit that they fixed. It's return shit that they can't sell new that's basically new. I won't go into it today, but there's a write-up on it. And it is one of the best-kept secrets about Amazon. You won't always find better deals there. But whenever you're buying anything, especially high-end electronics, power tools, kitchen tools, things like that, always check. Always check Renewed. And read my article because there's a way to screw yourself. There's a way to think you're getting what I'm talking about and you're not. And that is you don't buy from third party. Sometimes third party items are marked Renewed and they're not part of the Renewed program. Actual Renewed program product is what you're looking for. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. I want to thank you for joining me today. Hope you enjoyed today's show. I will be back next week. Hopefully it will be you know, bumper music and a normal show again. I got my new computer set up. I need to get all the software onto it and Everything back to normal, but it's been a rough month, man. Losing two computers in two weeks is, uh, is, is tough on a business, especially when, like, they were your two primary machines. Anyway, life is coming back to normal. I'll be back next week, hopefully, again, back to our regular scheduled programming. But no YouTube streaming next week. Hmm. What are we going to do about that? I haven't decided yet. 